0: Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio. I'm Linda Crater and I'm so glad that we are together today and glad that you're here to listen. We're talking to one of my favorite guests today, Lorraine Hamilton from Wellington, New Zealand. And I always find that she has very insightful things to say and to add that you may not have considered before that you could alter or manage. And today we're going to be talking about triggers, those things that Trigger our emotions in a way that are negative, uh, things that we can recognize about ourselves and how to reframe them and I think everybody has these triggers in in my day uh, when I was younger, we used to simply just say it brings back memories of, which now we have a word for that is in the common vernacular, but it is really an important thing because we as we go through life, you pick up more experiences. And the more self-aware you are about times where you could be triggered or memories could come to the surface that reflect in a poor way, you can help. So today we're going to talk all about triggers, all things triggers. Lorraine, welcome to Wise Health for
1: Women Radio. Oh, Linda, thank you. It's so good to be back. I (laughs) love talking to you. Well, it's clearly
0: mutual. (laughs) So, Fabulous. so let's take a step back and talk about the generalization about triggers. What are they? Um, can they be re- managed or reframed? Does everyone have them? And then I thought I might give you a couple specific ones and, and work
1: with those. Sounds good. Sounds good. Let's let's dive right in. Okay. Okay. Um, I love that that you framed triggers actually at the beginning about you know it brings back memories off because another way that we can think of them is anchors, and yeah. and anchors are more of a positive spin on triggers. So, um, if I think about it in two different ways, triggers to me are are those things that that send us into a bit of a spin, and maybe we end up doing things that that causes us to self-sabotage or that we, you know, suddenly we've acted before we've thought or that could send us into a bit of a whirlwind. Uh-huh. And, and anchors are those things that that maybe bring back those nicer memories and take us back to those better places. So, um, I mean, they both mean the same thing, but it's quite nice just to, to think of anchors as being resourceful and triggers right. maybe not being so resourceful.
0: I like that because I'm a huge one on words and I think that it really can make a difference in how you perceive things. And I I do think that there are some things that that make most people unhappy um, and they've usually stemmed from experiences that you've had in life. I'll I'll give you an example. If you've ever been bullied and felt disrespected, Mm. that, for example, can come up in many different ways, professionally or personally. And There's other things being understood, being in control, safety, respect, again, as I mentioned, Um, you know, comfort zones for people. We all have different, different aspects of ourselves that, you know, we are aware of. And for what could make someone else unhappy and be an anchor or a trigger might just flow off the back of somebody else.
1: Why is that? (laughs) That's absolutely true, and it's you know the, a, an example that I often give is that you know you and I we could go and have the same experience. We could maybe we, we're going to a party, Linda, and we travel mm-hmm. to get, we get ready together. We travel together. We're with the same people. We eat the same food. We listen to the same music. Yet. You know, you might have a fantastic time at the party, and I might think God, that was awful. I, I'm, I feel really <laughs> anxious now, and I'm never doing that again. But we've had the same experience, right? Yes. But there's so many things that 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 bring us to being who we are. Mm-hmm. So I subscribe to the NLP (neuro linguistic programming) model of, okay. of how we how we think okay now we don't need to get caught up in that but just just go with me on on this it's to demonstrate so we are as human beings constantly being subjected to information now that's not um it's not marketing information it's not messages it's like sensory based information so we're constantly being exposed to sensory based information things like you know is the temperature too hot or too cold what's that noise is that a predator coming you know a big dog coming to to get us we're constantly doing that um in an unconscious way but we're being exposed so the model I subscribe to says that we're being exposed to about 2 million pieces of information at any one time, mm. and that we can only actually deal with about seven. 2
0: million pieces of yes. stimuli? Yes. That, so what, well, I'm I'm tired just thinking about that. Yeah,
1: well, <laughs> well, you're actually constantly deleting, distorting, and generalizing that extraneous information, and that's where it becomes interesting because the way that you delete, distort, and generalize is what sets you apart from everybody else, and so you you have a number of filters that you use in order to do that, and we all do. So our filters are things like our value system, our belief system, our previous experiences, decisions that we've made in the past, and the strategies that we use for things. So the strategies that we use for things are, we have a strategy for everything that we do. We have a strategy for getting out of bed in the morning. We have a strategy for getting dressed. We have a strategy for making purchases. So we have a strategy for everything that we do. So that's another one of the filters that we use to delete, distort, and generalize the vast majority of the information that we are being exposed to at any one time and that's what starts to form our how we code our experiences in our mind so Mm -hmm. you would code the party as being a really happy experience and I would code the party as being a less than happy experience and then we start to associate feelings with with those experiences and how we've coded them. And that determines what we do next. So this this whole thing actually is going to determine the actions that we take, which is what uh, causes us to have results. So when you understand that and when you understand how you can manipulate it, this is what really lights my fire because that's when you can change your results
0: which is a fantastic way to you know begin this first segment talking about because is it not true that sometimes we have thinking errors
1: yes well we have thinking and we can we can choose to change it if we're not getting the results that we want mm-hmm. if we change either the picture in our head or the feeling that we have associated with it or our physical body then the others must change so I don't know my I loved my grandmother dearly but she did one thing that really annoyed me and that was whenever I was sad she would say smile until you feel better
0: right my (laughs) mother used to say you don't always need to be happy but you need to be cheerful
1: Oh, how did that make you feel at the time? Well,
0: at the time, I, you know, manned up. But as I got older, I realized that I didn't think that was the greatest of advice. And I did not give that to my children. And Mm. bless my mother, rest in peace. Most everything she told me I have brought into my life. But that piece, I I felt, was not serving me well because it gave off a different appearance than how I truly felt, which was not fair to those who were reading it. And I, I think sometimes we do give off um, a certain persona or feeling, etc, so someone doesn't know that they're getting dangerously close to a boundary uh, because of our outward appearance or behavior. Does that make sense?
1: It absolutely does. And it's actually one of the things that I talk about with regards to um, building resilience. I think that with the best of intentions, we try to save our, or protect our children from feeling sad. Mm-hmm. And and what happens is that the, we, we grow up and we are taught to avoid those negative emotions because um, that's what we've learned. It's like, go, you know, distract yourself, do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that really hamstrings us in later night life because we don't have the experience of surviving those emotions. I think that is,
0: it was, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like a lot of these helicopter parents are doing some future uh, hindrance of their children's ability to cope if they aren't given some of these learning experiences and not all of them are going to be fun we either we we either learn from our experiences or we
1: repeat them that's right that's right and I think so I think because I work with so many people who are afraid of feeling sad or or angry or scared because they've been taught and conditioned to avoid those emotions Mm -hmm. like I'm not hopefully we'll have time but um When you have a happy thought, something happens, a trigger happens to make you feel happy. So you start getting happy, but you don't just keep on getting happier and happier and happier. You'd never get anything done. So (laughs) at some some point, dark. I know. But at some point, (laughs) that feeling dissipates and and then we go back to our, our kind of status quo. When we're taught to avoid negative emotions, we never have that same experience of it growing, it reaching. a a, a peak, and then dissipating, and that's what builds resilience. Having those experiences of surviving the negative is what builds us and makes us stronger.
0: And that is very, very important for character development, for figuring out who you're going to be at any age of your life. I, I really believe that you have the ability to reframe and, as you said, change the ending or alter the ending slightly if it's something monumental but it it truly is an important thing when we come back from the break let's talk further about suppressing certain emotions and how we can work through that and not be afraid to feel all of our range of emotions and life we'll be right back after these short messages don't go away We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages.
2: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember, that just because a food is fat-free, does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond.
2: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: Looking at the labels on food to see the calorie count, sodium, fat, etc. is a good thing, and will help you make smart choices when buying food. But be sure to pay attention to the serving size. Oreo cookies have only 160 calories per serving. But a serving is only three cookies, not six cookies like most people eat. Canned soups, cereals, and cooking sprays are all tricky when trying to watch calorie and sodium intake. Coffee creamers are another overlooked source of fat and calories. Some list nutritional information based on a single teaspoon even though many people have much more. Fat-free creamers lead people to think they're only getting 10 calories, when a two-tablespoon serving, a more realistic serving size, would add 50 calories. Be sure to look at serving size on the food labels. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond.
0: Welcome come back. We're continuing our conversation with Lorraine Hamilton from Wellington, New Zealand and talking about triggers. And we talked before the break about how we delete, distort or generalize lots of the emotional feedback and information, sensory based information that we are bombarded with all the time. But right before the break, you mentioned that people are often afraid to feel the sad or more negative emotions and yet i would counter that with if you don't experience them and and ponder them a little bit you you won't learn from them is that
1: true or false yeah and i think the most important i think it is true i I think the most important lesson that we can learn from experiencing them is that we will survive so over these years, decades, whatever of conditioning that we have to avoid feeling negative emotions, whatever you perceive to be negative emotions, mm-hmm. um, we we learn almost to a point of unconsciousness that the response is to avoid, um, and that becomes troublesome in later life because. We don't have a cognitive process to to recognize when we are being sent down that path. And the, the, the thing that we are missing when we don't have those experiences is that they, like we mentioned just at the break, they will build to a certain degree and then they will taper off. When we're constantly avoiding, we're avoiding the unknown, Mm -hmm. So we're avoiding feeling the feelings because we think that they'll never go away. When you actually allow yourself to sit in those emotions and purely experience them without trying to change them in any way, without trying to fix anything, just purely sitting in that feeling, Mm -hmm. you will experience it, it grow, it taper off and then it dissipate. it will go away. And learning that is incredibly powerful for resilience and for personal growth and for strength. And I think we are confused that we are in pursuit of happiness at the avoidance <laughs> of all else. Right. When actually we are in possibly more in pursuit of growth and and getting to know ourselves and developing and and growing um, is actually much more satisfying, that's where happiness comes from for a lot of people. Uh, I'm not trying to dictate what happiness is, how you define happiness or how anyone else defines happiness, Um, but certainly avoidance of these perceived negative emotions, I feel, is keeping us stuck and keeping us from fully experiencing everything that life has to offer.
0: So how does that reflect if you are... Um, in a relationship with someone who avoids those types of feelings and you never get to discuss them because it's just no forget about it that's negative you shouldn't think about it um, which is both labeling but doesn't it also negatively impact the feeling of being understood and an intimate conversation this is
1: an interesting one because we're talking about two people with two different sets of filters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So their experience is going to be slightly different. And there's um, what I call collusion as a, a model, whereas, you know, from what you described, the other person shuts down those conversations. So that's something that they do, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And when they do that, what do you see? If we use you as an example, Linda, if you'll play along with me. Sure, I'd be happy to. So um, you have someone in your life who shuts down these these conversations, who doesn't want to talk about deep, powerful feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, So what do you see in that person when they won't go there with you, when they won't talk to you that way?
0: Well, in that example, I would say that, it would be logical to feel rejected or devalued um, or that whatever I'm thinking just isn't worthy of giving any thought to. So why am I wasting my time?
1: Okay. So if that's what you see, then what do you do in response to that? If that's what you're feeling, what do you do in response to that?
0: That's an interesting question because I'm persistent. So I might try again (laughs) which may or may not work depends on the person of course but I think at some point you realize you're not going to get anywhere and so you drop it and after a period of trying to converse about things that matter to you and not being able to have a two-way conversation you give up on some of those things and say that I, I can't have that in my world so I I think that that's a very that's. I bring it up because I think it's common among relationships, and even friends, but certainly in marriages. And and it's not easy to to talk with another person with those two sets of filters, two sets of reactions, two sets of bombarding information all the time. But I but I do think that. As we get more and more superficial in our world, so it's a Facebook post here, or it's 240, now 280 characters on Twitter, there's so many ways to be misunderstood that when we're face-to-face, if we can't truly talk about things, we're really handicapping ourselves in my opinion.
1: Yeah. So... This is this is really common in the work that I do and it's really common in when I'm dealing with people and, and usually it is people that are close to us. So, you know, if I go back to that little example, you know, the person in our example has um, resisted your um, invitation to have a conversation about feelings. So you feel rejected, devalued, you feel that, you know it's an unworthy topic of conversation in their opinion so at first you persist then they see that you're not taking what's important to them into account because they've said they don't want to have this conversation right so then they they withdraw even more and so we end up in a bit of a downward spiral but the good news is that what's happening here in a dynamic like that is that i basically see it as a values conflict What's most important to you is not what's most important to the other person. And they're trying to protect what's most important to them. Mm -hmm. So and it's making them uncomfortable. I think that's the
0: key word, uncomfortable. I think that sometimes people are truly uncomfortable, whether it's because of how they were raised, what their uh, their life experiences are. I I think that discomfort
1: is not tolerable for some people. But then we've been conditioned never to feel uncomfortable and always to feel happy. That is the goal.
0: Oh, I feel uncomfortable a lot of the time, but then <laughs> I, i'm
1: but I'm intrigued by
0: when those things happen. I want to know why they happened and if it was something that I was able to manage, as you said earlier, then I would like to learn to do that. But I, I, I don't know that everyone is always of the same mind in terms of wanting to get to the bottom of things. Again, I go back to there is a lot of superficiality in our world. And some people are very happy with that. That's back to the party analogy. You know, yeah. Some person can walk through the party having very superficial cocktail chatter and the other person says... You know, I just wanted one meaningful conversation that went on for more than three minutes, and and so it's a it's a difference. But come back to your values conflict because that's really important. People pretty much gain their values through their life experiences, and how do you break through um, or create a new way of connecting if the value systems
1: are indeed disparate? Well, it's it's a conversation and mm-hmm. it's a conversation that needs a very simple framework. And that is the framework that I use is called AID. So A for Alpha, I for India, D for Delta. Mm-hmm. So A is the action. So when you don't listen to me when I want to express my feelings. The impact, so the I is impact. The impact is that I feel rejected and devalued. So the D is what I would like to do differently is for us to have a conversation where I can express how I'm feeling, but without making you feel uncomfortable. So Mm. can we can we come together and find a way where we can compromise? So you're it's not an emotional conversation. It's very much based on observable behavior. And one thing that I do teach is, you know, one behavior, one conversation. This, is not, this yeah. is not an opportunity to go, when you don't let me talk about my feelings and you leave your washing on the floor and you don't take out the garbage. <laughs> and-
0: what I call garbage arguing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As it so, just goes on and on.
1: Yeah. One behavior, one conversation. But always at the end that they do differently is what can we do differently so that we both feel appreciated.
0: And that's a very important word. Feeling appreciated makes you like the person, want to be around them, want to continue the friendship or the relationship. And
1: the the opposite is also true. Oh. Yeah. It's where, have you ever explored the five love languages? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's when you're in that kind of values conflict, it's like you're speaking different language. Mm-hmm. So you need a translator or you need a common language that you can speak that isn't emotional.
0: Absolutely true. So when you have the the collusion that you said shut down, shuts down of the conversations, mm-hmm. then a good way to do it would be to do what you just suggested. You know, can we find a way to do this? If this is important to me, you know, I, I would like to pay attention to what is important to you. Um, we are coming up on another break already. I can't believe it, but we 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 really are moving quickly through this because it's a it's a deep thing having conversations that can grow a relationship versus halt it, and so we're going to talk about that when we come back from the break. I'd love to talk about if fears match facts, because oftentimes that can really alter. If someone is fearful of something, they do not want to discuss it. And yet, do the facts match the fears? And so, is the worry productive or? Is it non-productive, And that's a big question, so I'm giving it to you before the break, so you have time to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, I really am intrigued by what you will talk to us about with that. So we have a few short messages, and we're going to continue back with Lorraine Hamilton talking about all things triggers and how we can manage our life to be smoother and more engaged in a pleasant way. We'll be right back. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages.
2: It's words never
4: heard. Each year, the United States Postal Service successfully ships over 160 billion packages and letters, with bills traveling through the mail at twice the speed of checks. Automated sorting machines read zip codes and direct the mail to the proper destination. But last year, they failed to read some 2.4 billion pieces of mail. All because of cacography. That's bad handwriting. So what happens to all that errant mail? The post office hires more than 700 postal clerks to decipher the most difficult ones. When a sorting machine discovers an illegible address, it scans and sends a digital image to the clerks' computers amazingly the average clerk can crack the code in just three seconds not everyone can keep up though as management at the post office is always pushing the envelope it's I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app
2: Too Funny for Word Martha Sanchez, the host of the Mobby to Mogul radio show empowering women to build a successful business, invites you to join her on Tuesdays at 7pm Eastern Standard Time at the ripe age of 5, she was already interpreting. Information in documents and instructions on forms for her immigrant parents. Now, through her experience and those of her guests, she provides you with valuable steps to empower you to reach financial independence. Martha A. Sanchez is a registered nurse with a Bachelor in Nursing and Master's of Business Administration. She's a business coach, speaker, author, and CEO of Moss International LLC. Her diverse work experience brings you expertise in areas essential to customer service, social media, and budget. The Mommy to Mogul Radio Show furthers her personal mission of empowering women to help them build successful businesses so they can reach financial independence. Join Martha Sanchez, the host of the Mommy to Mogul Radio Show, Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
0: Welcome back. We are talking with Lorraine Hamilton about all things triggers or that bring back memories that don't serve you well. And a lot of the times we have to take a step back, in my opinion, tell me if I'm on the right track, and (laughs) judge the truth of a situation. Do your fears match the facts or is your worry, concern, uh, petulance, uh, unhappiness, is it coming from you.
1: That's a very good question, and it's somewhat loaded, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I told you I did a video on this. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, look, fear is something that drives us all, and um, and you know, for anyone who says that it doesn't, then I would challenge them on that because. We have the neuroscience to prove that we are still driven by our fear center, um, which is the oldest part of our brain. Um, it's our instincts and we need them to survive. But sometimes our the, our filters that we're using to um, delete, distort and generalize can be less than helpful. But the good news is that you can change them. Um, but it does mean that it can be challenging to know whether or not the fears match the facts and um, and and a lot of times we can we can spend years decades you know generations creating a a psyche that is not helpful to us and when you want to start to unpeel that and unravel it it can be difficult to know where, when to start I was actually asked this question just yesterday of, you know, I know I've got limiting beliefs and they're holding me back, but I don't know what they are and I don't know how to identify them. So there are people who are hungry to do personal development work, but they don't actually know where to begin. Mm -hmm. But there are some hints so that we, we generally have in our language. So I love language. I love Mm -hmm. the impact that language has on our feelings and, you know, that can have an impact on our health and and our results and everything. It's huge. So yeah. Yeah. So we have to be careful with our language and we have to be careful with not only the language that we use externally, but very much the language that we're using internally. So I have like my top 10, cognitive distortions we're talking about how we distort things mm-hmm. so my top 10 cognitive distortions are things like all or nothing thinking you know that kind of mm-hmm. black or white thinking that you know if, if I don't you know I, it, there's no point in even playing if I'm not 100% in shape or mm-hmm. you know I didn't finish writing that paper so the whole thing was a complete waste of time or You know, that person didn't show up. They're completely unreliable. So that's that's an example of all or nothing thinking. And and when you do that a lot, you start to formulate beliefs about yourself and other people that are potentially unhelpful.
0: Can I ask you if that's the same thing as generalizing?
1: Yes, yes. It can be, you know, we take these distortions and then that becomes the generalization. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: which is so, why I mean, they always say don't use the words always and never because they're, <laughs> they're generalizations and usually you can find an exception to that. But I was, I was just yeah. curious because the examples you were giving were all generalizations That's and right. they were all or nothing thinking.
1: And, and actually, my second cognitive distortion is overgeneralization and speaks about using always and never. And, and if you are trying to help somebody to challenge their thinking, to challenge that and change the way that they feel, that's a really interesting way of doing it. If they use the words always or never, then all you need to say is, always? Really? <laughs> really, there's never been a time that it was different? And that can be enough to get people to start questioning.
0: And is that what you're seeking? To have them start to question whether their facts are indeed truthful? Yes. It makes so sense.
1: Generally, yeah. if, if I'm working with someone or I'm talk, talking them through the top 10 cognitive distortions, these are indicators for you to then ask the question, is this true? Is it false or do I not know? Mm.
0: But I I knew a wise woman one day who who would say to me, um, well, ask a question. I'd say, I don't know. And then she would say, but if you did know, what would you (laughs) say? And invariably I had an
1: answer. It's a real, it's a coaching technique for sure. Oh, definitely. definitely. But
0: this was many years ago, and I've used it since many, many times to great effect because I thought it was something so simple. But it really does, I don't want to say force a decision, but it causes a decision to be made, and you, and you get a step further. It opens another door, and sometimes that helps a conversation to flow a
1: little bit better. It really does. And it's just about looking at things from a slightly different perspective. Mm -hmm. We don't need to turn everything on its head to make a powerful difference. We can do something like, and if you did know, what would the answer be? Mm -hmm. And it just, it accesses a slightly different part of your brain. And so suddenly there might be a, a, a solution that presents itself. So, understanding that we can change the coding in our brain, which will change the way that we feel about things, mm-hmm. that will change our results. It'll change our results in our communication. It will change the behaviors that we take. It can change it can be the difference between someone who has had to have weight loss surgery to them becoming incredibly helpful, uh, healthy rather, just by challenging, and changing something in that relationship between our actions, our feelings, and the way that we store that information in our minds.
0: What's also seemingly a gentle way of, a gentle but provocative way of keeping it moving
1: forward. What are some of your other cognitive distortions? Ooh, lovely, um, shooting. Shooting is a big one. Um, We really need to stop shooting. Um, You
0: You mean ready, fire, aim?
1: Ready, fire, aim. I like that. (laughs) It's, you know, like just putting pressure on ourselves. Oh, I really need to do this or I really must do or I should have done.
0: Oh, shooting. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought you said shooting. I I did not understand that. Shooting. So that you should. Yeah, Yeah, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Thank you.
1: Yeah, because it causes us to feel bad, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're making ourselves feel bad. Um, we're often toughest on ourselves. Oh, gosh, yes. Just so much. Then there's, you know, labelling. We, we touched on labelling earlier, you know, mm-hmm. that we could, we get, we often give ourselves labels um, after just a single event. So maybe we didn't stand up to a co-worker. So we're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm such a wimp. Or, you know, I'm such an idiot, I, di- I made a mistake, I'm such an idiot. And we start labelling ourselves as these things. And remember that what you focus on expands. Mm-hmm. So if you focus on that stuff, your, your unconscious mind is going to bring you more and more evidence to support that. But if you focus on, hey, I made a mistake, that's okay, I can dust myself off and, and I can do better next time. You know what? Your unconscious mind will bring you evidence to support that too.
0: Which is a very positive turnaround. And if yes. we could learn to do that more consciously, does that simply take the mean taking the time to be self aware, to look at, at what you did and the result that you got? Because that very wise woman also said to me, when you look at why someone does something, look at what happens when they do it. And if, once you have been able to recognize patterns, it seemingly they jump out at you more. It's like searching for red cars and suddenly that's all you see are red cars. Yeah. And so is it, is it the same theory that if this- you focus on it, you'll find more of the answers?
1: Exactly that. What you focus on expands. When you look for something, you will find more of it. Exactly the car uh, analogy. And so, but and it's a practice, but you must do it with compassion mm-hmm. and a level of objectivity. Um, so you almost need to be dissociated from when you're replaying the event in your uh, in your mind. You know, don't be looking through your own eyes. It's almost like imagine yourself um, watching it on a big screen. It's like, okay, well, that's how it played out. What what was actually going on there? And then compassionately say, well, if I changed this, maybe the results would be different. If I looked for the positive, maybe I would do something different. Because remember, your actions are linked to how you feel. And changing that
0: perspective can be very, very hard for someone who is either depressed uh, mm-hmm. or very unhappy, um, and, and yet when they're out of that deepest part, it, it might become easier to do. And so I, I think that we ought to give hope and, and recognize to people that you're not able to do all of these things all at one time. but put them in your mind because they are possible over time we have time for one more of your cognitive distortions before our last break
1: oh mind reading mind Mind reading
0: reading. I'm not really particularly good at that
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you know a lot of us are a lot better than uh, we give ourselves credit for because we'll say oh such and such thinks I'm such a terrible person because I did X, Y, and Z, or they have never forgiven me for that time when, or I bet they're thinking that um, I'm just such an awful person or that they don't like my shoes or I don't have the right hair or something. That's what I talk about mind reading. So we actually mind read quite a lot.
0: I see what you're saying. I thought you were talking about intuition.
1: No, different. This is making negative assumptions about how people see us without evidence or any factual support.
0: So the fears and the facts do not match.
1: No, they do not. But that's yeah. hard
0: to see sometimes from looking within, you know, when you when you look within the mirror. And and you're absolutely right on self-talk, because mm-hmm. I, I think women in particular can be really hard on themselves. Um, oh, yes. I formed a, a, a fun network with some of my closest friends so that if we ever say anything negative about ourselves, someone goes, Mm-mm, negative self-talk. <laughs> love because it. because well it it helps a little bit so we are coming up on our final break and then we have more time with Lorraine and let's talk about a couple of things that are really practical in our lives such as being lied to um, trusting facts that are not true and untrue assumptions accusations and we'll address those we'll be right back after these messages We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages.
2: It's words never heard.
4: Which U.S. state would you guess has the fastest talkers? Recent research by analytics company MarchX revealed that the nation's fastest talkers come from Oregon, Minnesota, Massachusetts, Kansas, and Iowa. What about New York, you ask? New York ranked near the bottom at 38. But New Yorkers do use more words. A New Yorker will use 62% more words than someone from Iowa who have the same basic conversation. What's another word for fast-talking? tacky lie-ya. America's slow-spoken or tardiloquent talkers were from North Carolina, Alabama, South Carolina, Louisiana, and Mississippi. What's a word for someone who likes to say the same thing over and over? A batologist.
2: It's Words You name
4: word. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your Words You
3: Never Heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
2: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: The American Journal of Clinical Nutrition stresses that whole wheat, rather than refined wheat is essential to maintain a healthy body weight. Eating whole grains is an important part of a healthy diet. A whole grain is defined as a grain that retains the germ, brand, and endosperm of the original grain in their original proportions after milling. When you buy a product that says it's multi-grain, it means that there's more than one type of grain, like wheat, rice, barley, or rye, was used in processing. The more grains you have in your bread, the better the benefits. When buying bread, choose whole grain or whole wheat. Beware of wheat bread, a claim that simply means the loaf was made from wheat flour, which might very well be refined and colored with molasses to appear darker. The only trustworthy claim for whole grains is 100% whole grain on the label. I'm Annette Hammond.
0: Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion with Lorraine Hamilton. And Lorraine, you know, I think it's important that once we understand our triggers, the things that make us have memories that are not positive and don't serve ourselves well, there, there must be a way to reverse engineer our thinking. And part of it you have already shared, you know, do fears match the facts, all or nothing thinking, overgeneralization, some of those cognitive distortions you mentioned. But let's take a look at the three examples I gave before the break of being lied to when someone is twisting facts and when you've had untrue accusations put upon you, Yeah, things you can't disprove, show how we can... Perhaps turn around those examples to give our listeners some some real meat.
1: (laughs) Okay, cool. I'm going to use some examples from um, some of my clients. So I... One one subset of my client base is patients of weight loss surgery. Uh-huh. So they've gone through the the horror of having the surgery, but then what we do is we spend we take them away for four and a half days, and we spend that time uh, rewiring their mindset and um, behavioural responses to help them um, lead a healthier life going uh-huh. forward. And this is one of the things that we talk about because. Any of these triggers, whether it is being lied to, twisting facts or or accusations, those things are going to give us a physical response. You know, when somebody mm-hmm. does something like that to you, you kind of feel like you've been punched in the stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and, and it then we will have behaviours associated with what we do when we have that response. So in the case of that subsection of my client base, um, invariably they will find themselves in front of um, the pantry or with the fridge open. Um, But it could easily be any other behaviour that you recognise in yourself as a trigger response. It's like, God, I just ended up picking a fight with my sister or... Um, you know, I quit my job, or you know, whatever the the disproportionate response is uh, for you. So let's let's look at that. So something happens. Maybe it is the the false accusation or being lied to. We very quickly have this very powerful physical response, and everybody's physical response is slightly different. Mm-hmm. So. Some people get, a, you know, their heart is racing. They get palpitations. Other people might feel sticks to their stomach. Um, you might have a blinding headache. Your response is your response, okay? And you need to recognize that. That is going to result in you doing a behavior that is unresourceful and unhelpful to you. Mm-hmm. What, what we are possibly not aware of is that there are a lot of other signals that we've had on the way to that very um grand and sometimes scary physical response Mm -hmm. so often we 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 describe stress well stress is actually a very frightening response because it can cause your heart to race it can cause you to be dizzy it can cause you to feel sick it can cause a lot of very scary symptoms the thing is these physical responses are actually your body just shouting at you because you haven't paid attention to the, the quieter messages that it's been sending you. And of course, we've been talking about this conditioning of avoiding um, the uh, av- um, avoiding our negative experiences feeling those negative emotions it numbs us to our mind body connection which is actually an incredibly mm. useful resource mm-hmm. so before you had that really powerful stress response of your heart racing what happened before that so there may you may have felt heat in your neck or maybe your palms get sweaty or maybe there was a tingling in your fingers Or maybe you felt something else. And then when you can reverse engineer to that point, think, well, what happened before then? What did I feel before then? And there are a lot of physical messages that you are being sent. And when you can start to unravel them, you begin to buy a little bit more time and you you go from a, a place of reacting to the trigger to responding to the trigger now that's very easy for me to say it's very easy for me to say okay well so just just figure out what happened before that okay I get that that is not a simple thing to do and it's not something that I can necessarily ask you and you know straight away Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but when you give yourself time to reflect time to become mindful even meditation that will slow down your thinking enough for you to begin, just begin to notice those other bus stops on the way to that very frightening response leading into a behaviour that perhaps you want to change.
0: So if I could
1: paraphrase
0: this, would you say that being, t- being mentally present Uh, pulling yourself into being present when you feel something happening and then staying present long enough to think back a step or two that with practice, you can actually start to recognize the milder symptoms before Mm. it gets to the volcano stage. Is that fair?
1: That's absolutely fair. And, and listening to your body, not, not it it being a purely mental experience. It's a physical experience Mm -hmm. Because these physical symptoms are just your body shouting at you louder and louder because you didn't listen to the quieter ones.
0: You know, that's true. And, and if you stop and think about the times that you've been truly, truly upset, not just agitated, but truly upset mm. to, to the point where the blood is rushing in your ears so that you can hear it yeah. and your heart is racing and you you are feeling all those other things that you were talking about, the other signals you didn't get there instantaneously it wasn't a zero to 60 it it took some time to get there although i imagine it can work the same way in negatively that the more used to responding that way that you can become caught in that chaos is that possible too well that is
1: absolutely true because the more that you you don't pay attention to the 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 other signals the faster you will get from zero to sixty Mm. So it's like your, it's your turbo bus, as, as I refer to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we want to do is take the turbo out of it so that we can see the bus stops on the way. And, and the very important part to this is that when we are exploring it and becoming curious about our strategy from, get remember I said we had strategies for everything? Sure. Right. We have a strategy for this too. Okay. So when we're exploring that strategy, is we must do it with compassion. Mm-hmm. Just intellectually knowing that you have a strategy doesn't make the doesn't make it happen any slower. So you may find that you have a trigger and a an unwanted response, but hopefully you will be compassionate with yourself and say, No, I listened to that episode with Linda and Lorraine. And I'm going to sit and think about that for a while. And then maybe next time I'll catch it just a little bit sooner. And then maybe the time after that, I'll catch it a little bit sooner. But maybe the time after that, I'll just go to zero to 60. And (laughs)
2: that's okay. That's
1: okay.
0: So come back to your weight loss surgery patients, because I imagine that is such a massive change in lifestyle that there there are when they look in a mirror, perhaps, or open the refrigerator, as you said, um, perhaps they're beating themselves up verbally inside. And mm. to to change that would, I don't want to put words in your mouth, tell me what they would preferably be thinking as they open the refrigerator. Would it be something like, I really need to close this refrigerator? I'm actually not hungry.
1: It's, yeah, I'm not hungry. I don't need this. Mm -hmm. This is not the answer to the problem. So food is not the answer to somebody making an accusation. That's, you know, that's not, that that can never be the answer. So it is about installing those other resources and also giving them a really strong sense of self. So we take them on a journey of, the first thing that I do is, Is give them an experience of what their core values are and what's most important to them because then they understand their filters and they understand what they want and they understand the goals that they want to set and how they fit in with what's most important to them
0: now i would have to say that probably their own responses are extremely important but i think from life we've all learned that the responses of others to us has a lot to do as well do some of these conversations help, are they helped when people are firmer on their personal boundaries?
1: Oh, of course, of course. And also an understanding that usually when um, you are in, when, when somebody does something to you or, or a- accuses you or verbally attacks you, mm-hmm. it's very often come from their fear So something has triggered their fear and that's when they respond in that or react, they're reacting in that way. Um, So when you can build your own resilience, when you are so sure of yourself, it's kind of like being inside the eye of the storm and the hurricane's just happening all around you, but it's bouncing off you because you're so sure in yourself. When you don't have that, then you can start to question and go, oh, well, maybe they're right. OK, well, maybe that was me. Oh, no, I'm a terrible person. And all of these cognitive distortions start to come into play again. And they can lead to very deep-seated limiting beliefs, which can sometimes be difficult to shift. Except
0: that you're telling us it's totally possible to shift it. and it's. Absolutely. it's it's that's a very positive message and I want to make sure our listeners know where they can find out more about you and give them your website and tell them what you do
1: sure so you can find out more about me at lorrainehamilton.net and um, there's a lot of resources on my blog on uh, mindset and building confidence and I hope to see you over there (laughs)
0: <laughs> Lauren, thank you so much for sharing a lot of empowering thoughts today. We put a chock-a-block bunch of information into this. And I think one of the most important messages that I learned from this was that we are bombarded with information that we need to delete, distort, generalize, or, or that's what we're doing with the information. And it's up to us to take a look inside and realize just how valuable A soul we really are thank you again Lorraine for being with us today you can find more oh it's always a pleasure you can find more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com and also on iTunes thank you for visiting us today we will be back with you next week with another show and another amazing guest Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.